Welcome to Season 2 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 87, which represents Day 4 in our countdown to Christmas, is entitled The Sermon on the Mount, Part 2. The Old and New Testaments are written in poetic form. Hebrew poetry is not like English poetry. Hebrew poetry uses at least five different forms of parallelism. It is the parallelism that gives it its order. I've had a love affair with poetry for many years, but I know of none more tightly organized than the poetry of the Holy Bible. Position is extremely important. Relationships are shown through parallelism, and all repetition gains meaning through variation. Repetition gives emphasis. Variation gives added knowledge. Therefore, allow me to show you how the Sermon on the Mount is organized. I will use an ordinary analogy, but it might be helpful. I want you to think of the Sermon on the Mount as a nut. (laughs) Strange, right? But hear me out. A nut contains a seed, and in that seed is all the information of a tree. Let us call it the Tree of Life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Christ said, Ye shall know them by their fruits. In Revelation we read, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22.2 That is what the kingdom of God is like, and the Sermon on the Mount is the microcosm of that seed. That is the promise to those who live the Beatitudes. I prefer the hickory nut. The hickory nut is the hardest of all nuts to crack. It is harder than the black walnut, the pecan, the almond, the English walnut, the Brazil nut, the hazelnut, and so on. Hickory is an extremely hard wood. The hickory nut is the best tasting nut in the world, speaking from personal opinion, of course. As a child, I had my favorite hickory nut tree. I was the only one who ate its fruit. The nut was so hard it broke the rocks. I had to use a very hard rock or a metal tool. Also, the nut was small and hard to extract. It required a very fine instrument, but it was worth it. I have never seen them commercialized, probably because of the difficulty. Therefore, I shall use the hickory nut as my analogy. First, let's break our nut, speaking of the poetry of the Sermon on the Mount, into two equal halves. As you know, half a shell has no value. To protect the nut, it must have two symmetrical halves. In other words, they mirror each other. The first half represents the Beatitudes. However, the Beatitudes are not complete without the second half. Therefore, let's see what the second half contains. The Beatitudes are contained in chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 27, represent the second half of the shell. Without the second half, the first half is not complete. In other words, without the first half of the shell, the second half has no purpose. Without the second half of the shell, the first half has no purpose. Now that I have your interest, let me quote the first half and the second half and explain the mystery. Obviously, obeying the rules of parallelism, the first half must be at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and the second half must be at the very end. First notice that the Beatitudes have an introduction, verses 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, 
Matthew 5, 1-2. The introduction, of course, is followed by the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men do revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew 5, 3-12 Second, notice that the conclusion also has an introduction. Chapter 7, verses 15-20 through 20. It is a wonderful introduction and plays quite well into my analogy. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, wherefore by their fruit ye shall know them. Matthew seven fifteen through 20 With that beautiful introduction, Let's put our focus on the conclusion itself and see why it is essential to the Beatitudes. In fact, it would be helpful to read the Beatitudes carefully and meditatively and jump straight to the conclusion. As you read the conclusion, you will see why, without the conclusion, the Beatitudes lack full clarity. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Remember that each promise of the Beatitudes is that you will receive the kingdom of heaven. In the conclusion, however, Christ is saying that you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Between the two shells of the Beatitudes in the conclusion, Jesus further defines the will of the Father. Now let's return to the conclusion, for Christ defines those who will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Christ is speaking of those who speak of Christ boastfully, but do not do the will of Christ. Of those who do the work, Christ promises. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came up, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. However, those who do not do the works cannot stand. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
Matthew seven twenty one through 27 The purpose of the conclusion is clear. First of all, the Beatitudes define the different conditions necessary to inherit the kingdom of heaven. The conclusion, however, reinforces the idea that desiring the kingdom of heaven is not sufficient. You must not only hear the word, but you must do the word. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you do the will of your Father who is in heaven. Christ warned, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Christ further adds, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew 6.20 In addition he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Matthew 6.33 You will be known by your fruit. If you don't do the will of your Father in heaven, you will be like the man who built his house on the sand. In other words, in everything we must come unto Christ. We must do his will. That is implicit in the Beatitudes. In fact, add the phrase, who come unto Christ at the end of each condition, and it will fit perfectly. The poor in spirit who come unto Christ. Those that mourn who come unto Christ. The meek who come unto Christ. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness who come unto Christ. The merciful who come unto Christ. The pure in heart who come unto Christ. The peacemakers who come unto Christ. Those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake who come unto Christ. Those who are falsely accused for Christ's sake who come unto Christ. The houses are the same. The difference is the foundation upon which they are built, and that foundation is Christ, or those who obey the commandments of Christ. The Christian who builds his house on sand is merely an imitation of Christ. He says, but he does not do. The Sermon on the Mount is talking about members of Christ's church. To even build a house, one must first accept Christ as their personal Savior. The Sermon on the Mount is an echo of the parable of the ten virgins and of the parable of the talents, and the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, it embodies all the parables of Christ. All of Christ's teachings point back to the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, a close analysis will show that everything else in the Holy Scriptures are subordinate to the Sermon on the Mount. They teach you how to become perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. God lives in the third heaven spoken of by Paul. That is the end goal of everything. God wants you to have all that he has to give. To do that, you too must go to the third heaven where God and Christ are. Or as the Savior put it, you must inherit the kingdom of God. What are rains, the floods, and the winds? They are the fiery darts of the wicked. They are the mortal distractions. They are the wiles of the devil. What are the beatitudes? They are the full armor of God. They are all the teachings of Christ. What is the end goal? The end goal is to inherit the kingdom of heaven and to become perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That image occurs through the Sermon on the Mount. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God. In Revelation we read, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Revelations 22.14 
Notice that it is written as a beatitude, a commandment with a promise. Only those who do his commandments have right to the tree of life, and the tree of life is the kingdom of God. The city is the new Jerusalem. What is the end product? You will be made perfect by Christ, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Christ is willing to give you all he has, just as his Father gave him all that he had. It is the same. Now we know what to expect with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. They will expand and explain the Beatitudes in greater detail. It is the same for all the other teachings of the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Since it is impractical for me to discuss all of them, you are of course encouraged to study not only the Sermon on the Mount, but all the teachings of Christ as contained in the Holy Scriptures, because every one of them reverts back to the Sermon on the Mount and helps you become perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. As we think of the birth of Christ, may we all make Christ the center of our lives, as Christ made the Father the center of His life. We owe a debt to the Father and the Son that we can never repay. John 3.16 is a Christmas message to all of us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 16-17 Though we must keep the conditions of the atonement by striving to keep the commandments of God, we consider the grace of Christ as a free gift because we can never repay it. Though he required perfection of himself, he doesn't require perfection of us. He requires only that we strive with all of our hearts to obey His will and keep His commandments and endure to the end. Merry Christmas from Ron and Linda. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.